Welcome to Briefly Legal, your podcast briefing on legal news, developments, and legislation on the go. Brought to you by the attorneys of Crow and Dunleavy. The following should not be understood as or considered a substitute for legal advice. Visit CrowDunleavy.com for more information. Welcome back, everyone. This is your host, Adam Childers, with the podcast Briefly Legal, brought to you by the law firm of Crow and Dunleavy. I'm here at the Crow's Nest in downtown Oklahoma City. I'm excited because it's uh, a little bit of sunshine out today after uh, what's been a dreary few days in this spring uh, with summer beckoning. Uh, But I'm also excited because I'm going to be joined today by someone who is outside of the firm, but a friend of the firm, and that is the general counsel of the Oklahoma Department of Labor, Don Schooler. And he's going to be talking to us today about the Oklahoma Department of Labor and filling us in on not only what the ODOL does and what it covers, but also talking about the various processes that it has for employers and employees alike. And we're going to talk about some best practices that he has learned and wants to convey to those members of the business community that need to know those things to do a better job of taking care of their workforce. So say hello to everybody, Don. Hey, Adam. Thank you for having me. I'm looking forward to this. Well, I am too. I'm very excited that you are here and gives me a chance to talk about something that I know a little bit about myself as well, but obviously you're going to be the source expert. And so let's enjoy our time talking about this topic today. Before we jump right into it, I want all of you out there listening to know just a little bit more about our special guest today. So Don has been with the Oklahoma Department of Labor since August of 1996, with the exception of uh, four years that he spent at the Oklahoma Corporation Commission. As I mentioned earlier, he's currently uh, the Oklahoma Department of Labor's chief of staff, as well as general counsel. Technically, that makes him uh, sort of my boss as the administrative, as one of the administrative law judges for the Oklahoma Department of Labor. I've been in that ALJ role doing a a docket about once a month or so since, uh, well, we were talking about it early, I think maybe as far back as about 2014. Um, so, which means I've gotten to know Don over the years and, uh, and I get to see the great work that he does. He's a, he's a Norman boy like myself. And, uh, I wanted to tell everyone that he's, he's a fellow sooner like me because he did graduate from the OU College of Law in 1993, but, I would be uh, pulling the wool over your eyes because he is, in fact, a loyal cowboy being an undergraduate of that uh, university there in Stillwater. Now, your family members may get uh, the, the best of you, right? You've got some uh, some kiddos at uh, OU, after all, <laughs> as I, it all turns out. I do. I, both of my kids are at OU. I got a senior and a sophomore, and my wife is working on her master's at OU right now, so... Well, those, it just goes to show the Sooners will get you in the end, right? But Don, I want to thank you again for being on the show. So let's jump right on into it. I want to start with what the Oklahoma Department of Labor covers. And I say that because for a lot of my clients and a lot of people in the business community that the firm serves and my labor and employment group reaches out to, uh, they just think of wage and hour when it comes to the Oklahoma Department of Labor. But it's so much more. And why don't you give us uh, maybe a, a glimpse into what that so much more is? Sure. I'd be glad to, Adam. Thank you. Um, so in our uh, in our safety standards division, we, we license a number of occupations. We license welders. 
We license elevator inspectors. We do amusement ride inspections. We do asbestos abatement. We do, in our employment standards division, as you mentioned, we have the wage and hour division. We also do child labor. We do uh, OSHA consultation. Uh, under a previous uh, commissioner, used to say that we're the guys in the white hats. We don't have the authority to cite businesses for OSHA violations. Instead, we will come in and provide a consultation to, to help you avoid those, those particular violations. Uh, we do the public side of that, which is PIOSH. We do alarm locksmiths. We also do alternative fuels. There you go. I think I think that does cover all of them. I'm I'm looking at my own personal list as we're doing this. The the one that sticks out to me is uh, is ride inspection. I did get to handle one of these cases on my ALJ docket. But tell the folks listening what you mean when we're talking about ride inspection. Sure, we have a number of field inspectors, and they get real busy in the fall with the with the state fairs and and little local fairs. But our inspectors will go out there to inspect the rides to make sure that everything is is functioning properly, that it is up to the engineers' uh, schematics, what have you. And if there are any concerns, they will work with the ride operators to to fix those. Um, if they can't fix them, then we'll we'll ask that that ride not be put into public use until it does get corrected. And during the state fair and the Tulsa fair, we will have inspectors there the whole time to assist with any potential concerns. As a frequent flyer with my family at the at the Oklahoma State Fair, thank you. Because more than a few times as a parent of young child, I'd look at uh, a ride and think, has anybody looked at this thing? And little did I know that uh, that the ODOL that I would work with later already had people on the scene. It's just a good example of the many things that the department does that uh, probably a lot of people have no idea about. Right. We do that. We also are good about um, the smaller things. I mean, a lot of birthday parties and churches and that will have the inflatables, and we will also inspect those as well. Oh, so. sure. I hadn't even thought about that. Yeah. What about alternative fuels? What what do you mean when you uh, you allude to that? Well, that's kind of interesting. That came over to us because it, we found there were bits and pieces in a, a bunch of different agencies. So it made sense to put it all together in one kind of program and, and put it with one agency. And at that time, uh, our current commissioner, Leslie Osborne, was a, a representative at the Capitol. And so we worked with her. She kind of spearheaded that and moved it all under to labor. And so we we licensed those in the alternative fuels community, those that are converting vehicles, those are inspecting. We inspect uh, fill stations and, and make sure that, that there's not a concern for the public there. Yeah. The other one that really, you know, from a, a business perspective, sounds really appealing is this OSHA consultation. I think as you put it, you know, you're, you're not out there to tag somebody with a citation. You're out there to help them really avoid those kinds of situations. I, I must confess, I, I don't know of a lot of members of the business community that have, have talked about this, but it sounds like a, a real opportunity to try to, you know, take what might be a dangerous situation that could lead to a citation and turn it into a teaching experience and, and a way to avoid liability. Is that fair? That That is fair. That's exactly what our, our hope is, that uh, those that, that have an interest will reach out to us. It, it's free. It's confidential. We'll send out our inspectors who have been doing this for quite a while and are very good at their jobs to work with the employers to identify potential safety concerns and to help them address those. Uh, we also have a, a SHARP program, 
uh, you'll have to forgive me. I'm not sure exactly what that acronym stands for. Um, <laughs> but it sounds good. Sharp, yeah. sharp sounds good. Well, if, if an employer will work through that program with us, and it's, it's a multi-year program where they have to address concerns and they have to put in place safety policies, the kind of things that a, a business would want anyhow, uh, we will recognize them as being a sharp program. We have a flag that they can fly to acknowledge that. But it also has benefits in that those that go through that program can get a waiver from the federal OSHA coming out to do inspections for a while. Because if you've gone through that process, you have addressed everything that the feds are going to have any concern with. Ding, 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 ding. That's the uh, that's the key. A waiver on that issue would be really nice and 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 well worth the effort, I would think. Uh, we, we think so. I mean, it, it gets you to the same place. I mean, I understand – Employers don't want to, to have the concern of being dinged by the feds, and, mm-hmm. and that's clearly not our goal. But at the end of the day, everybody wants to make sure that all the employees go home safely, um, and, and that, that will get them there. Yeah. So we've talked about so many of the things that you do. There's a couple of things that aren't done, and yet I understand you probably get <laughs> quite a few calls uh, indicating otherwise. What are the top couple of things that people call about that you just aren't in charge of? Right. Probably the most common one, definitely the most common one is unemployment benefits. There are some states that the labor divisions or labor departments do handle that. Oklahoma is not one of those. The Oklahoma Employment Security Commission handles unemployment uh, benefits, Um, in particular with the struggles that we went through this past year with the pandemic. We've gotten a lot of calls, and and we will do what we can to try to point those persons in the right direction and give them some general direction, but that's that's not our ballywick. That's not us. And hand in hand with that are some of the additional benefits that we've seen through the CARES Act, and those are administered through the Federal Department of Labor. And it's frequently we're confused with the feds, and, and actually the U.S. Department of Labor has an office in Oklahoma City and Tulsa. But we work with them on a number of things. That's But those benefits, the PPE and the P, triple P's and all that other that's not us. Exactly. Well, uh, there's a lot of acronyms out there and, and you can forgive a few folks that, that call the wrong place, but good to know that, you know, and, and get the word out that that's, uh, you know, ODOL has more than enough on its plate than to have to deal with some of those uh, other issues. I did want to ask before moving to our next topic, there's an initiative I've heard a little bit about uh, OLAC. Uh, speak to that if you would. Sure. I'd be glad to. That is the Occupational Licensing Advisory Committee, OLAC. And that was actually started under Governor Fallon, and then it's been codified, and it's now under the Department of Labor in the respect that our commissioner, whoever the sitting commissioner is, acts as the chair of that committee. Um, It's made up of people from the business community as well as uh, senators and representatives. And what they are tasked with is reviewing all of Oklahoma's occupational licenses. They do it on a four-year rotation. Okay. This year would be the f- the fourth year, so we should finish up all the licenses we reviewed, and then we will just start over. As I was say, then you start all over again. And we right? do. <laughs> and, and the idea is to make sure that we that the license is serving the purpose that we'd hope it would, is to you know to protect the industry, but not to make it unnecessarily burdensome for somebody to get into an industry, and to protect the public. And so, if there's a better way to do that than a license, then let's do that. And if license is the way to do it. Let's make certain that people are aware. Sounds like an admirable purpose. Well, let's talk about that 
part of the ODOL's coverage that I'm probably most familiar with. That's the wage and hour portion of it. I mentioned the outset, that's what a lot of people immediately think of, and probably with good reason. That's the a big part of what you do. But let's let's touch on it for a second. Can you kind of walk us through that process? Uh, you know, how do we get from point A to point B? Sure, I'd be glad to, Adam. So typically, our investigations open uh, or started when we get a concern from the public. Some, some employee, and, and typically it's a former employee, although there sometimes it's an ongoing employment relationship, the employee will reach out to us with a concern that they have not received benefits or wages they believe that they're entitled to. And so they'll complete a form, and then we will assign that to a compliance officer who will open an investigation, and he or she will immediately reach out to the employer to let them know that we've received this concern. The employer, they'll work with the employer, the employer uh, giving them an opportunity to respond to it. And it frequently happens that an employee is simply confused um, about what they believe they're entitled to, or there's been a legitimate mistake on the part of the employer, and we can resolve those things, those concerns fairly quickly. But it sometimes happens that there there's a legitimate confusion or misunderstanding or there's a lot of hurt feelings. I've told people uh, uh, when somebody ends their employment relationship, it's 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 much like a divorce. You invest a lot of your your time and your energies with the people that you work with, and that, and so there's a lot of feelings that are tied up with that. And so we work around that. And if we can't get to a place where there's an understanding between the the concerns persons and the, they receive the compensation they believe they're entitled to then our investigator will issue what's called an administrative order of determination. The AOD. The AOD. And then that AOD is subject to to appeal if the employer, um, and it will always be the employer that we issue the AOD to. If it turns out that the employee's claim is without merit, then we just let them know that we're closing out the investigation. So the employer has a certain amount of dates to, to raise an appeal. And if they raise that appeal, then we'll schedule it for an administrative hearing where the employer gets an opportunity to to present a new whatever defense or whatever concern they have, and the employee will be expected to present his or her claim again. And that's where I get my role as an administrative law judge. I get to walk in, get to play judge for a little while and preside over hearings like that, take take on evidence, um, hear testimony, and, and try to render hopefully an opinion that complies with the law and essentially makes a decision as to whether that AOD uh, should be upheld or not. But is that the end of the story or can somebody go over my head? Well, they they, uh, they should start with your head anyhow. <laughs> <laughs> but if they don't like the decision they get from you or any of our other ALJs, then they can appeal it to district court. And Absolutely. of course, once you get into the, the that court system, you can take it as, as high as you're willing to take it. And we've had some that have gone to the Oklahoma Supreme Court. So, so with all these years of experience seeing this process, I'm guessing that you've probably got a few ideas on some best practices that they should be thinking about when it comes to uh, handling ODOL claims. Share a few of those, if you would. Sure. Probably the f- the biggest one I would tell any employer, um, and you know, it holds true to the employees to a bit as well. When you bring a claim to the Department of Labor, we're going to open an investigation, and we're going to expect the parties to work with us. So if an employee brings a claim and then they abandon it, which sometimes happens, more times than not, we're going to have to close out that case because we can't, we can't help you get your wages if you're not going to help yourself. I'd say the same thing to the employer. 
when you when an employer receives notice that there's been a wage dispute filed with this, I would I would suggest that they they jump on it quickly. Mm. I mean, the first thing the compliance officer is going to do is send an in, uh, informal notice and saying, "Hey, here's what's been claimed. Tell us what you think about this." And and so. Under Oklahoma's Protection of Labor Act, found at Title 40, Section 165, it's pretty protective about an employee's wages, and for good reason. I mean, this is what people use to put food on their table and keep their lights on. But there are certain things that employers are entitled to, certain protections. And so once we determine that, in fact, somebody has has done the work necessary for their wages to be earned and due, those are the magic words, you're familiar with them. Mm-hmm. Then, then we look to see if there is a legitimate reason under the law that the employer is not obligated to pay those wages if they believe that they, they shouldn't have to pay them. We can only do that if the employer works with us. And it sometimes happens that employers will ignore the investigators, which is unfortunate. Then they issue that AOD. And, and sometimes the employers at that point will take it more seriously, and then they will get their administrative hearing, and they can present their defense at that time. But think about all that time and effort and resources wasted. It's unfortunate because it's always easier, I believe, to present your defense and work at the lowest level. Compliance officer, when you're working with them, you're not going to be constrained by I know, your rules of evidence that you would have during an administrative hearing. Exactly. And if it goes beyond that, well, the district court is going to give deference to our agency. So each each time that it goes to the next level – I think the burden is just a little bit more difficult on that employer. So, so I would suggest that they jump on it immediately and work with us. So first thing, be, be timely and be cooperative. Now, what about liquidated damages? Yeah. So the Protection Labor Act has a provision that says for each day that wages are not paid up to a total of 50 days, there's a 2% penalty. So you do the math, 2 times 50 is 100%. So any wages that are found to be delinquent for 100 days or more, run the risk of being doubled. This is something that employers should probably never be assessed with. And it's because the law recognizes that there can be legitimate or bona fide disagreements about benefits or wages. All it requires of the employer is they acknowledge and pay those wages that they concede or do and put the employee on timely notice that there are other wages that that the employee may believe they're entitled to, the employer doesn't, and to explain why that is. Now, if it turns out that the employer has taken a position that the law prohibits, they're probably still going to be hit with that penalty. But if there's a legitimate confusion or legitimate misunderstanding and they've timely told the employee, they're going to avoid those damages. And the worst they're looking at is being ordered to pay wages that they should have paid earlier. A simple and timely letter laying out the reasons why there's a disagreement and you might not double your damages if you you know wind up on the losing end. It's a, a simple step, but one I see often not taken. So finally, uh, what about the Department of Labor itself, uh, the Oklahoma Department of Labor? Do you... Do you serve as a resource? What what happens if uh, an employer just wanted to call up out of the blue and run a scenario by someone and just say, what do you think about this? We, we do. We do that frequently, and, and we are very happy to do that. Uh, we cannot, of course, provide any private legal advice. But if an employer has a, a, a concern, we can give them uh, an understanding of what the law says generally regarding a particular situation. And so an employer tells me, hey – you know, this employee is entitled or owes, we owe this much money to this employee, but we prefer to not pay him because of this outside concern. 
we can discuss whether or not the law allows for that concern to affect those wages or not. Yeah, that's great to know. And, and I suspect a lot of members of the business community might not have even known that was a, an opportunity. So I, I appreciate you sharing that with us. Well, Don, this has been a, a wonderful conversation and one that I think you know imparts a lot of value to the, the business community. But I, I, I can't let you leave. I just I <laughs> won't let you leave until you've participated in something that when it's uh, a fellow crow attorney here with me, it's, it's get to know that crow, but today it's going to be get to know that friend of crow. And, and so what we do in this little segment is I like to kind of peel back the curtain, peer into your life a little bit and let the listeners learn a little bit about something about you personal that uh, maybe they might not have known uh, and it's of, of interest. And, and I know exactly what I want to ask you about because we've not only worked together, but we've been friends long enough that I'm privileged enough to know that you are an artist and have been. It's been a passion of yours since you were a kid. And it's my understanding you're into pop art. Is that right? That is correct. What's pop art? Pop art is just fun art. I mean, it's the you know, typically people you hear pop art, people think of soup cans, Andy Warhol, uh, Lichtenstein did some stuff, the, the stuff that looks like blown up pages out of a comic book. For me, it's an aesthetic that appeals to me. It's the fun, whimsical stuff. And, uh, and I actually have some pieces right now in a gallery in Santa Fe, pop gallery. Very cool. Uh, thank you. And uh, right now I'm, I'm, I'm having fun with the retro toys, the, the Rock'em Sock'ems, the oh, yeah. uh, Barrel of Monkeys. I've done some, some art based on Barrel of Monkeys, the old wind-up tin robot toys. Oh, some of my favorites. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, who couldn't get behind that? I'm no artist, but I love to play with toys. So just, I guess, keep me away from, you know, anything that is on display for you. I'll probably just want to tinker with it. But I'll give you the address when I leave. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Well, that just goes to show that you are a a true Renaissance man, someone that is learned in the law, but still uh, an artist at heart as a young guy, but uh, even more so now in your adult years. So it makes you a man worth knowing. And I, and I'm glad that I've gotten to do that uh, over the years as an administrative law judge with the Oklahoma Department of Labor. Thank you, Don. I, I, I truly appreciate the time today. Folks, before we close out, I do want to ask for a small favor. If you are enjoying Briefly Legal, and I know that you are, would you do us a favor and give us a rating or a review on uh, the podcast application of your choice? We'd love to hear your feedback, and uh, that would help us as we continue to produce content that we think would be interesting and helpful to you. Also, if you have a show idea, send us a note at legal at crowdunlevy.com. That's a wrap for today. We thank you so much for spending a little bit of your day with us. Until next time, this is your host, Adam Childers, and I hope that you will join us next time for Briefly Legal.